0: Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 58, verses 24 through 30. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tars among the wheat, and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tars also." So the servants of the household came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tars? He said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go out and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tars, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tars, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Burkett notes, The design and scope of this parable is to show that there is no expectation of universal purity in the church of God in this life. But as the tars and the wheat grow together in the same field, so hypocrites and sincere Christians are and will be intermixed in the same church and can hardly be discerned one from the other. St. Jerome observes that in the eastern countries the tars and the wheat were so like one another whilst they were in the blade that there was no knowing them asunder. Learn, one, that in the outward and visible church there ever has been and will be a mixture of good and bad, of saints and sinners, of hypocrites and sincere Christians, until the day of judgment. Two, that in that day Christ will make a thorough and a perfect separation and divide the tars from the wheat, that is, the righteous from the wicked. 3. That in the meantime, none ought to be so offended at this mixture in the church as to separate from church communion on that account. Until the harvest, it is not to be expected that the tars and wheat should be perfectly separated. Yet observe, 4. That though the tars are forbidden to be plucked up when sown, yet it is the church's duty, all she can, to hinder their sowing, though we must not root the wicked up, yet we must prevent the rooting of wickedness all we can. Our Savior, that forbade to pluck up the tars, did not forbid to hinder their sowing. Note here how vain is the collection of the Erastrians from hence, that the wicked are not to be cut off by excommunication from the communion of the church, nor doth this text prove that the magistrates may not cut off evildoers, seeing this was not spoken to them, but to the ministers of the church. Verses 31 to 35. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable he spake unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Burkett notes, Our Savior's design in this parable is to show how the gospel, from small and little, from unlikely and contemptible beginnings, shall spread and increase, fructify and grow up. Like as mustard seed, one of the smallest grains grows up to a considerable tallness, and as a little leaven turns a great heap of meal into its own nature, so the gospel shall spread and increase, nations and countries becoming Christian. Learn that how small beginnings soever the gospel had in its first plantation, yet by the fructifying blessing of God, it has had and shall have a wonderful increase. Verses 36 to 43. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tars of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tars are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tars are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be a wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Burkett notes, The parable of the tars of the field Christ is pleased to explain to his disciples after this manner. The person sowing good seed was himself, the son of man, who first planted the gospel. The field in which the seed was sown was the world, that is, the church in the world. The good seed, called the children of the kingdom, are sincere Christians. The tars, called the children of the wicked one, are profane sinners and unsound hypocrites. The enemy is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the angels are the reapers. Learn, one, that the mixture of tars and of wheat, of the righteous and the wicked, must and shall remain in the church unto the end of the world. 2. That in the end of the world the angels shall perform the work of separation, gathering the righteous from among the wicked, when everyone's harvest shall be according to his fruit, the righteous shining in the kingdom of their father, and the wicked cast into a furnace of fire. Verses 44-46 through Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field the which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchantman seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. Burkett notes, By the treasure hidden the field, and the pearl of great price, are understood Christ, the grace of the gospel, and the way to life and salvation therein discovered. He that is thoroughly convinced of the worth and excellency of Christ's grace will part with all that he has to purchase and obtain it. Learn that the sinner who will have an interest in Christ and a part in gospel grace must part with all that he has to purchase and obtain them, even his goods and lands, with his wife and children. For Christ and his grace are a real good, a substantial good, a durable good. He outbids all the offers that the world can make, and therefore it is our wisdom to part with all for him, and especially our sins, dearer to us than all the rest. Verses 47-50 to 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea, and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore, and sat down, and gathered the goods into vessels." but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be a wailing and gnashing of teeth. Burkett notes, The design and scope of the parable also is to set forth the state of the gospel church, which is like a floor where chaff is mixed with wheat, a field where tars are mixed with the good corn, a net, where bad fishes are involved with the good, as the wheat must not be removed out of the floor before the time of winnowing, nor the tars gathered out of the field before the time of reaping, nor the good fishes break through the net to get from the bad before the time of separation. So must not Christians forsake a church's communion because of the present mixture of good and bad in the church. For a mixed communion in the church and the good Christians communicating with the bad doth neither defile the ordinances of Christ, nor pollute those that sincerely join in them. Verses 51 and 52 Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is in a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, the title our Savior puts upon gospel ministers. They are household stewards. Two, he points out the office of those stewards, and that is to provide for the household, both with plenty and variety. He must bring forth out of his treasure in plenty and things new and old for their variety. There are two essential qualifications in a steward, faithfulness and prudence. He must be honest and faithful in bringing out of his own treasure, not another's. And he must be prudent in bringing things new as well as old. Not new truths, but old truths in a new dress. Lest the household, by always feeding upon the same dish, do nauseate it instead of being nourished by it. Verses 53 through 56 and it came to pass that, when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Once had this man this wisdom, and these mighty works. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are his brethren not James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. Burkett notes, Observe here, 1. Christ's tender and compassionate regard to his own countrymen, the people of Galilee and Nazareth. He preached to them in their synagogue. 2. The effect which his doctrine had upon them. They were astonished by it, but not converted by it. They admired, but did not believe. 3. The cause of their rejecting Christ's ministry was the meanness of his person, the contemptibleness of his outward condition, poverty of his relations. Is not this the carpenter's son? Mark six three. He is called the carpenter. Whence the fathers concluded that our Savior, during the time of his obscure privacy, wrought at the trade of Joseph, his reputed father. And Justin Martyr says he made plows and yokes. Sure we are... Our Lord spent no time in idleness, though we are not certain how he employed his time before he entered upon his public ministry. Note that the poverty and meanness of Christ's condition was that which multitudes stumble at, and which kept many, yea, most, from believing on him. None but a spiritual eye can discern beauty in a humbled Savior. Is not this the son of the carpenter? Two, that is no impediment to, nor hindrance of, our faith that we never saw Christ's person in flesh, nor knew his parentage and education. For here are his own countrymen, who daily saw his person, heard his doctrine, and were witnesses of his holy conversation, yet instead of believing in him, they were offended at him. Verse 57. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Burkett notes, our Savior tells them he does not wonder that so many of his own countrymen, to whom he had been so familiarly known, did despise his person and reject his doctrine. For a prophet generally has least esteem where he has been brought up, because perhaps the follies of his childhood and indecencies of his youth are remembered and reported to his disparagement. Learn, one, that there is a real tribute of honor due and payable to every prophet or faithful minister of Jesus Christ. Two, that the ministers of Christ, for the most part, have least honor from their own countrymen, to whom they are best known. Three, that although it be so, yet this may not be through their own fault, for Christ was so amongst his. Verse 58. And he did not many mighty works there, because of their unbelief. Burkett notes, This sin not only locks up the heart of a sinner, but also binds up the hands of a Savior. Unbelief obstructed Christ's miraculous works when on earth, and it obstructs his gracious work now in heaven. Ah, cursed unbelief, which shuts up, O sinner, thy heart, and shuts out thy Savior, and will effectually shut thee out of heaven, and not only procure damnation, but no damnation like it. Mark. Fourteen, sixteen. 16. Christ was unable because they were unwilling. His impotency was occasioned by their infidelity. He did not because he would not, and that he would not proceeded from a defect in their faith, not from any deficiency in Christ's power. Their unbelief bound his hands and hindered the execution of his power.